Welcome to the Connect Her podcast for female entrepreneurs that are ready to level up personally and professionally. Here at Connect Her, we believe you are always one connection away from your next life-changing opportunity. So buckle on up and join us as we connect you with the most sought-after experts who will be sharing their exact strategies and experiences that helped them reach success. We're your hosts, Sam Conaway and Rachel Haig. We are the brains behind Connector, which is not your typical boring pitch fest networking community. And we have transformed the lives of over 10,000 women through events, mentorship, and of course, connections. Let's dive in. Can I get a boo? Yeah. <laughs> What is up, Connectors? Today, we are excited to introduce you to Dylan Bananas. Bananas? Bananas? (laughs) Yes, there we go. Yeah, I'm getting it right. An entrepreneur and speaker doing big things in the world of marketing. Not only has he founded two eight-figure companies, but he's also worked with some of the biggest brands and personalities in the industry. Dylan has shared the stage with icons like Gary Vee, Ed Milet, Alex Hermosi, and many others, his ability to connect with influential people has allowed him to build transformational relationships throughout his career. In addition to his business expertise, Dylan is also a writer for Entrepreneur.com. He has a very large social media presence and has become a sought-after thought leader and influencer in the entrepreneurship space. Dylan currently serves as the CEO of Agency Box, which is a white label platform that he has helped more than 5,000 agencies <laughs> run profitable businesses, <laughs> my goodness, along with being the co-founder of Mindful Agency, which has helps brands dominate their online presence, is a wealth of experience, stories, and knowledge to share here today. So if you are ready to gain valuable insight from a successful business leader, this is an episode that you do not want to miss. Mr. Dylan Bananas. Van Banana. <laughs> Banana. Now that we've stroked your ego and I know, this is gone amazing. through your entire very long explanation of your I, life. I did, uh, let's just clarify. I did not write this. You guys, you guys <laughs> wrote that. How are you today? That uh, GBT wrote that. Okay, now I'm offended. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm doing good. It's actually really nice to hang out with you guys because... The fact that you guys live in Austin, you know, I'm in Vegas. We don't get to do this very often, so it's cool to see you guys. Yes, Dylan, we go way back. I think my parents actually like you better than they like me. I think that they kind of want to adopt you. <laughs> You're like a brother to the family. They're like my Vegas parents. I feel like I actually do feel like that because my parents don't live here. So I'm like, ah, I see them more than you probably see them. Honestly, I think you do. Every time I'm on the phone, they're like, so this is what's happening in Dylan's life. So I feel like I'm always staying updated. Good, good. Okay, well, this show is all about getting vulnerable, getting real, talking about the great success that you have because you're a very successful entrepreneur. However, there's a lot of resilience that comes with getting to the level that you're at, I imagine. And I guarantee that it has not all been sunshine and rainbows along the way. So... Can you tell us about a time you've faced a major challenge or setback in your career and how you have overcame it? Yeah. So (laughs) on the front end, try to make it look 
happy and, you know, and, and it's like Disneyland, right? You walk into Disney, they provide an experience. But, you know, in the back, Disney's hacking on a couple cigarettes <laughs> and the reality isn't all glorified. But with business, it's like the world doesn't like to show that vulnerable side. And so I appreciate you guys providing the space for people to talk about that because not only I think is it healing for people to talk about, but also healing to listen and know that not everyone's perfect. Mm. So in my perfect attempt to dodge the question, (laughs) (laughs) I I, I will go into answering the question, which is I've had four things in my business slash life where I felt like the floor, you know, like the rock bottom. And each one developed me into a better person, but it really made me who I'm now where I actually value and love people more than anything else. Whereas before it was like, who can help me get there? Now it's like, how can we together build? What were the emotions or the things that you caught your inner voice telling you when you were in that rock bottom moment? What were you feeling? Who am I? Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? What am I doing with my life? Am I worthy? And I think fundamentally the third question there is what humans go on this search for meaning in our life. Am I worthy? For me, the first thing that comes is like my dad used to say, boys don't cry, boys don't cry. The moment I cry, boys don't cry. AKA, don't show emotion, don't feel, don't empathize. I'm a highly empathetic person. I'm a highly, you know, intuitive guy. And on that, it's like I'm being told to suppress these things. And so for me, it's like when I went through that trauma, I didn't go through it. When I say go through, it sounds like I'm being victimized by it. Mm -hmm. I was the creator of that. I made, I fucked up and I made a mistake. As a result of my actions, I experienced all those questions and basically like your life flashing before your eyes and like all the shit that I experienced growing through life. And then coming back, it's like, holy shit, like, do I have any worth in this world? And so to come through that and, and then know that my worth is not associated to what I do or what I've done. And with that, it made me understand and realize that I think that's when the flexing went away. I don't have to puff my chest up and be this person because I just am. Mm. And we all are. And therefore, we are worthy. So, yeah. (laughs) I'm so so not answering the question right now. (laughs) (laughs) You are, though. You are, though. And you've gone through four major... Let's just talk about all of them. (laughs) We're not going to talk about (laughs) all of them. This is therapy. But the thing is, you've gone through four major just rock bottoms. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, where they've not just had one, but they've had multiple and sometimes when you think you've just gone through the last one, that that was it, that it's done, then another one comes. So when these rock bottoms hit, how do you handle them? Because you've gone through four and maybe that means you're not on your last one. Maybe another one's going to come up. So how do you handle that when a rock bottom comes your way? I'm not claiming that energy. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm claiming the energy of, of perfection. Now, gosh. Every single time it feels like, okay, wow, like, nah, (laughs) it's it. But the thing is, is those rock bottoms took me further down than I thought was possible. And then that creates this gap of of comfortability where it's like pretty much everything that's not that (laughs) 
is okay. And the world's not going to fall apart. And this is why people, you look at like crazy successful people, I can tell you that Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, I can tell you these guys, successful people have have been through it. <laughs> and so they they have like a, this massive zone of comfortability. And so for me, it's just, it's expanding my zone of what I'm okay with. It's going to be okay. As long as, this is how I coped with it, is knowing that my intentions are good. I made a mistake. One. Two, it's going to be okay. The saying, this actually really helped me out. It's like, it's going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And then Ed Milet has a book called Power of One More. And so in a more recent floor that I hit, it was just the power of one more. Like there were literally times when I, I was like, yeah, today's probably the last day. I'm probably not going to make it through this. <laughs> Let me just do one more freaking day and let's reassess tomorrow. But the thing is, is by doing that, I can push through one day, two days, three days, eventually, like things are okay. Because if we look at life from a, if we try to look and be like, how am I going to get there? It's impossible. There's no, no way. How, how, you know, how are you going to fill a stadium with 10,000 people? But if you can fill a room with 10 people and then the next day, 20 and then 30. So I think that for me on pulling out of a dark spot is that, and also not having a choice. I am never going to be a victim for my circumstances, even if something happens to me that's totally unjust. I am not going to be a victim. I chose this life. I decided to be an entrepreneur. At any point in the last 10 years, I could have gone, got a comfy job making, you know, probably six figures at some company somewhere. But instead, I chose this life. I can never play victim to my circumstances. And for that reason, I have to just push through. There's no other choice. I love that. I can only imagine, too, the stress that maybe sometimes you're going through with an entire team. You have employees. How many people work for you? Got over 100 in that right now. You have over 100 people that depend on you for their paychecks, for their job, for their entire livelihood. And how do you cope when you're at a place that, you know, you don't feel the best? Maybe it's even just you're having an off day and you don't even like feel like really getting up. Like maybe you're not at a rock bottom place, but you're just having an off day. But there's 100 people that work under you. And they need you to be at your best. How do you show up for them on a regular basis? I really care about my people. And yeah, there's been times when I've looked at the, you know, not in the last six months. But there's been times before that where I looked at the bank and I looked at the payroll coming out the next day. And the rent of an office space and all the other stuff. With a six-figure payroll, literally a six-figure payroll, I'm paying out six figures to my people. Where is the money going to come from? And, you know, if I turned off, that that turns off. So at this at that time, like, I care about my people, and I'm going to do what I have to to make, you know, make sure people are taken care of. And so I never miss payroll, never miss any taking care of my, my people. And that's always going to come first. And so I think just knowing that, like, that's that's the priority never crossed my mind to, to stop. It's always just like, let's find the solution. So I think that my like masculine brain is wired to solve problems, right? Like we go into a conversation with our significant others. Like my thing is like, how do we solve, right? A lot of times we, we know this, right? And like girls oftentimes are, you know, how do we connect? And like, how do we engage? And how do we understand and feel understood? But my brain's going, how can I problem solve? 
Mm. On the tactical side, like what I'm actually doing tactically to accomplish that is I know that when I'm exercising and when I'm meditating, everything is so much, life is so much better. And when I'm in a hard place, anytime I've been in one, it's the time where I least want to meditate, right? Everyone's like, Dylan, have you done your meditations? I'm like, have you done your meditations? (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Don't tell me that, right? And try to tell someone who's stressed, like, to go meditate or to go work out. But that is what it takes. It takes hitting the gym or doing the walk, clearing our head, putting the phone in a different room and not sleeping with it next to our head all night long. And then everything's more clear. And the problem that seemed like it's the world is much smaller. I believe that being a true leader is not being perfect or, you know, showing up every day the exact same. Being a true leader is being your true self and showing your struggles, but showing how you're overcoming them and leading people on that journey. And it sounds to me like all of these rock bottoms that you hit or even just hard days, the lessons that you've learned in them, the new beliefs that you've created just learning more about yourself in those moments have really reflected into you being able to be a true leader and help your team through when those things come up for them too in their real life outside of work. I want to switch gears a little bit because I know that not only are you leading a team, you also refer to yourself as a connector, I've heard before, and that is clearly something that we are really passionate about. And you've built a lot of incredible relationships with high-level people in the business world. You've spoke on stages with big names like Gary Vee, Ed Milet, Alex Hermosi, and we've heard you refer to yourself as a connector and you maintain these connections. So what does being a connector mean to you and what has been your key thing to building and maintaining these relationships with other business owners that also have a ton of things going on in their worlds as well? Mm. Yeah, so name of the brand, right? It's Connector. And so I, I think that it's awesome to, to be able to facilitate connections and be a part of it. And so I'll explain the few parts of how that works. But on that same thing, I don't know if I would stand up on stage and say like, I'm a connector because it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, I am that like, so like, it's just not my vibe, but I do like connecting people and bringing people together in a way where there's value. So there's two ends of that. There's one, how me and how do I build high profile relationships that just make life awesome. It's cool to know cool people and be in the right rooms and have the right conversation. So that's one part. I'll explain that briefly. And then the other part is uh, how do you make the connections between other people so that there's a good value exchange? So on part one, it's showing up with nothing to take and adding as much value as possible. So when I'm in a room, you will never hear me ask for something on the first meeting the likelihood that I'm going to give you as much as I can. And eventually you're going to be like, oh, this is like a karmic imbalance. Like, how do I reciprocate? And then eventually we get there and it's like, it's cool. But for me, I'm adding value to what I would consider high value people. And not in the sense of high status, like they're rich, successful, whatever, but high value in the sense that they're not going to allow me to overgive they're going to accept it graciously and either just provide the acknowledgement of thank you, which is more than enough 99% of the time, or they will sit and, and and find and identify ways to reciprocate that. But I'm never keeping score. I'm never like having an agenda. I'm really just, just there because I love people and I want to be able to give. So that's me. I've been able to get in really good rooms and people are like, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he not selling me? Is it because he's like Canadian? I'm like, <laughs> maybe part of it. And then the other part is like, 
one of the best ways of relationships is to actually connect people who then exchange value. And we've connected with people before. It's like, it's weird how like these amazing things happen when the right connection happens. But you can also get paid for that. There's a whole monetary side of connecting people, which I, I tap into sometimes only when it's, it really makes sense. But if you make a business introduction on whatever side is collecting the money, you can just say, look, like I'm going to make this connection. It's going to be extremely profitable for you. Here's what I think it could do. You know, give me 5% of whatever you end up making off it. And whether they remember or not, who knows, but you might get a little mailbox money every now and then. So relationships and connecting is huge and important. And you guys are fostering an amazing community to facilitate that. Well, if we ever come out with a connector infomercial, I think we should just throw him up there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask, because I love the answer. Very, very well crafted and, and very beautiful. However, <laughs> has it always been that way? Did you always just give so generously without expecting any sort of, you know, anything in return? Or was there a switch that happened or a lesson that you learned along the way where that initiated, okay, this is, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing? Mm. Yeah, I think that I've been able to support myself without the need for other people to be a part of it. So I've never had to ask for stuff. I've always been running real businesses, doing real things, not like the Instagram money stuff or like the hustle. Like I've never had to like do that because I've been doing stuff like separately. And so sometimes even my friends after knowing them for a little while, like Dylan, like what do you really do? It's like, well, and I have to go into and explain it. The thing though is like I, I never really needed that. But that's allowed me to really just, I think, just show up and be there. But if I were to say the one thing that I did take from people, I think it would be energy and attention. Not in the form of, hey, like, let's do business and give me money. It was like I was yearning for people to love me and appreciate me. And so I would show up and basically try to take that. And it creates like these weird dynamics where people think I'm like, being a bully or they think I'm being like, you know, overbearing or whatever. They just like love me people, you know? And I think I would show up and I'm, I've shifted away from that where it's like, I know that's not, you know, obviously we, I still want that as a human, but I think that that would be my karmic imbalance with society. I wouldn't give people the floor and the space to be able to be themselves because I was so busy trying to, trying to be myself. Where do you think that comes from? So I was, Growing up, I was like the class clown, but no one really likes the class clown, you know? And I would make the stupid comments that would piss the teacher off. And then the thing is, is like, you make fun of one person, everyone laughs, it's funny. Then you make fun of someone else, and everyone laughs except for the two people you made fun of. Well, if you make fun of enough people, sooner or later, the majority is now not laughing. And all of a sudden, you went from being the cool person who's dominating to the, the person now that's hated. I think I experienced that in high school where, and take it one step further, it's like one step further back. You know, I think like my parents are great. I just think like innately I wasn't given the love and the affection or the maybe the attention in the way that I wanted it or maybe the support I wanted it. And like literally I could not, there was nothing they did wrong as parents. But I think maybe just like as the way that in an ideal world, Dylan could have had it, maybe didn't it happen. And so for that reason, 
I just went through life kind of always trying to like get attention from people and like tell me I'm worthy, tell me you love me. <laughs> but then they did the exact opposite because then I was like, it like flipped. So just based on your question, the way you asked it, it probably goes back to like those two things. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel like uh, you guys are like doctors right now. I'm like open on a table and you're like cutting me open like, oh, wow, like look at all this stuff in here. And you know exactly why things are happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's one of the things that Rachel and I really enjoy the most is just learning why a person operates the way that they do. And you could be someone that we meet in a room and you're just the most high energy engaging, like you're asking them a lot, a lot of questions and you're like, look at me, look at this. And that could rub somebody the wrong way. But what we like to do is understand, okay, where did that come from? Why? And like further, just get to know who you are at your core. So then we can fully just accept that and love that and appreciate that about a person and, and it's you and it's anybody that we meet is we want to understand the way that you operate so that we can love you and the way that you deserve. And I think that's one of our values as people is just to, you know, accept people for exactly who they are. So I appreciate you being able to share that story and be open and be vulnerable with us because sometimes it's, it's hard to do that and to take it back to grade school and take it back to it seems like silly moments, but for you, that was really hard. That was really real for you to have an entire classroom go from loving you to now you're the least liked person. Like I can imagine, I, I mean, I wasn't always the most popular, neither was Rachel in school. It's tough. It's tough to be the least liked person. And it really beats you down when you're a kid. So thank you for, for sharing that. Thank you for validating me. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm here for. Did you also eat lunch in the bathroom? On the floor. Oh, oh my gosh. Me. Really? That was me in high school. Mm. Yep, the big stall. I'd lay a blanket out on the floor, not touch the ground, sit in there, eat my lunch. No friends. See, the thought of that really, like, it really, I, like, I feel it because that's real. Like, it, it's, it's, it, people are experiencing that. And for me, there were times, so in between classes or like at lunch, like, there were times I literally went to the bathroom and just sat in the stall mm. because I didn't want people to see that I didn't have friends to hang out with at lunch. And other times where I would like go like leave school and just like walk around like the like the surrounding neighborhoods and I would come back like freaking sweating after lunch. But like lunch was the worst thing because for me, not only did I not have friends, I wasn't getting picked on by people necessarily. There were, you know, occasional instances where conflict happened, but it was more so the identity crisis of like, I'm a loser. <laughs> Yeah, I went through that. I went through that. And it's crazy to me. I mean, for me, and similar to the, your story you just mentioned today, is rock bottom is where we really learned some of those retraining our brains on those beliefs. Sitting in the bathroom alone, you start to tell yourself, I'm not worthy of friendships. I'm not funny. I'm not fun to be around. I'm not joyful. All these negative things. And then in adulthood, we have to hit rock bottom. And then we realize, oh, I am worthy. I am this. And now I want to use this lesson to go provide and hold space for other people. And you're a community leader, too. We call ourselves community leaders. And part of that, I believe, is truly because we experienced not having community. And now we want to provide it for so many other people. Mm, I love it. I think community is one of the essence of the human experience. Mm. So we're here and there's like three things that we do in, in this world. One, we, you know, we love, right? But love is also existential. It's also beyond this human experience. 
So the second thing, which is more human, is just like the existence and what we come to agree on is reality. So like we're sitting here and like this is a table, like, you know, we're talking, like these are words, you know, it's a nice day out. We're in agreement. This is like the reality we're living in this experience. And then the third way, the third thing is connection with people. And so we're going through and we're communicating constantly in life and we're connecting with people. The thing is, love is always there, always will be. We just have to tap into it. The reality, we're here for the next 50, 70 years, however long we're here. But what about the third thing? The connection, the communication, the relationships. Community doesn't really exist in many pockets of society. So fostering opportunity for, this is, I'm not religious. I go to church from time to time. There've been times, cycles where I've gone, spent more time at church. But the thing that I love the most about churches is it provides community. You walk in and like you're greeted with love. And then there's like wonderful music that plays. Everyone's singing in harmony. And then the people break out into little groups, small groups on like throughout the week and connect and learn. And so it's like the community is like the best part about it. And so what you guys are creating is is amazing because you're creating that that pillar of existence that is most is oftentimes forgotten. Yeah. We say it all the time. It's not about the journey. It's not about the end result. It's about the community along the way. You don't want to get to your end result, whether that's making eight figures, whether that's just having a perfect house, whatever it is, and get there alone. So we definitely see community as really important. And it seems like you're cultivating community here just with your employees. Everybody is family, not just you know, showing up to work, but we're all in it for the same mission. The people within our community and the people within your, your space, they're all working towards one thing and supporting each other along the way. Okay, we're going to switch gears again. So I'm going to stroke your ego again. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> You've achieved a lot of success as at a really, you know, relatively young age. One of your companies is called Mindful Agency. So we're going to go back to that mindfulness we were talking about. But we know mindfulness is something that has played a major role in your come up. Can you share what tools have helped you make some major shifts in your career around mindfulness? Go into the, the woohoo. Yeah, the woohoo. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Let's yeah. go to the woo-woo, woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what is that? So Mindful Agency, we work with mindful people to help them grow up, blow up their brand. That's kind of like the mission. The idea behind the mindfulness, it's like you talk about what is the like I would Google like how to be successful, right? And then like Forbes interview, like all the top things. It's like the five things that millionaires do in their daily habits. And then you like read one, it's like wake up early. Two is like they usually exercise in the morning. Three, you go through it and almost I'd say the majority of the time, what's on there? And mindfulness, exactly. Some form of it, prayer, journaling meditation. So then that took me, it's like, okay, like, like I want to be successful. So let me just, if you do what other people have done in life, you'll get what they got. That's kind of just the formula. I'll just model it. So, you know, I downloaded the apps, the headspace was one at once upon a time, the 10 minute meditation, doing all these things. And it's like, it's cool, but I never really, never really clicked. And then during COVID, I discovered this guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. This guy, he started talking about the science of spirituality. My sister, actually, my sister's a naturopath. She's a woohoo doctor. Woohoo. <laughs> and she's like, dude, you got to read this book. You Are the Placebo, I think, was the first one she recommended. And I read it in like two and a half days, listened to it, audiobook, two and a half days. And then 
I bought his next book, which was Becoming Supernatural. And then I went and bought the first book that he had written. And I had finished like his three books in a week. And I was like, holy crap, like this is what I've been looking for. Because I knew this supernatural woo-woo stuff existed, but I didn't have a way to quantify it in my reality. What Dr. Joe Dispenza did is he took this stuff. It's like, we know this stuff is out there. But then he provided the research, the case studies, the science, all the material to back it up. And then gave them the steps on how we can, as humans, can can tap into that. So I started uh, doing meditations. He basically has guided meditations that he does. The fundamental core of, of it is there's a million ways to catch a horse. I don't know. There's some saying that's like that. What is it? Yeah, Sam knows. <laughs> you, I know you know that saying. What's the skin a cat? A million ways to skin what a cat. A horse. <laughs> you just got lasso. I mean, yeah. assume I know it. <laughs> you would know. You're like, no, it's so. There's a there's a many ways to reach that. Some people use psychedelics. Some people use prayer, religion. Like choose your medium and like go through it. But what the fundamental part of it is like it's giving me. This is what it did for me. It gave me the space to create my reality, and then step into it. Hmm. And so for me, it just sitting deciding what I want, what my life looks like, and then come out of the meditation, open my eyes, and just now it's time to live that beyond everything else. That's what my woohoo is. Do you have examples of this reality that you, let's say, that you've manifested for yourself or what is an experience that you have closed your eyes, did a meditation, visualization, and focused on, and then it became your reality? So to answer your question, the short answer is I have had probably four or five of them that are like, mm, you know, the kind of thing when you're listening to someone on like a, like a Christian or faith based. And they said, I was at rock bottom and I said, show me a sign and freaking lightning struck the window and came through and, and hit me in the hand. And now I, I know that God is real, right? People who really believe and know, I don't believe, I know people who know they've had that experience. For me, I've had a handful of them. The thing is, is some of them are so like deeply personal because it's stuff that like I wanted and then created. But a simple example is there's like a couple of relationships I wanted as far as like people I wanted to connect with. And I literally in my, in my meditation would, would visualize, you know how like guys do like that, like thing and like come together. Like I would literally with a couple of those people, I didn't even know them, visualize it, doing that and connecting with them. And then the relationships suddenly the guy's freaking driving behind me and I like recognize that. And then we're going to the same spot and we talk, we become friends. Like that exact experience happened within six months of putting the attention on it and not the intention every day, you know, maybe I toss it into my meditation once a week, but um, the power of that and who knows what's happening behind the scenes, you know, I don't know, but I do know that if nothing else, it makes me feel better. <laughs> it makes me feel good going into it. And if some magic happens behind the scenes, then I'm not going to complain. I love that. It sounds like there's a lot of detail that you have in these meditations and visualizations that you create from just like the handshakes. Can you describe like the emotion you attach to it? Like, is there a lot of emotion? Is there like sights, smells, feelings? Like what, what does that really entail? Play with me for a second. I know you guys will, but the listeners play with us for a second. 
Let's imagine there is something out there that we can tune into to create whatever life and world it is that we want. And that existed. Just play with me for a second here. Let's have fun. And then the way you tap into that and connect with that is through the power of thought. So when we send a thought out, this other existence that's out there takes that, receives that as intention. So set the intention, whatever it is we want in life. This is the law of attraction. Not, it's not exactly it, but this is where it stems from. We send that thought out there and then it gets plugged into this, whatever existence it is. Maybe it's, you know, our, our passed away loved ones. Maybe it's, uh, you know, ourselves before we came and dropped into these meat suits. Whatever it is, this is what was happening and you can, you can communicate with it through thought. But then the question is like, how do I get it back? A radio comes one way, right? It's someone talking in a radio and, to, and it's coming into my speakers. But a walkie-talkie goes two ways. I want to live in walkie-talkie land where I can walkie-talkie to the woohoo and they can walkie-talkie back to me. <laughs> and so the way we can walkie-talkie and, and get it back is through feelings. And so thought is what sends it out. Feeling is what pulls it back in. And so when we create the thought of what we want with power of feeling, thinking and understanding of not just, you know, how it's going to feel accomplishing that stuff, but the more we tie in what you said, thoughts, smells, taste, the making it real, right? Because again, going back to those three things we have, we have love, which I believe that is love, whatever that is. God, the universe, source, whatever you want to call it. We have the second thing I said is, is reality is this, it's this experience. So how do we make something real? It's through feelings. But the more tangible we can make it, the more real it becomes, then we live it. So I love that thought of the feeling because the more we can tie to it and that's the most powerful thing. It's like, think about the fear. Like you're like literally at home, you're scared. Like you think something's going to happen. All of a sudden it happens. If we tune into our feelings and understand like what are we actually creating in our feelings and pay attention to it, you're going to start noticing that the feelings are, are creating a reality. I love this. I feel like if you need to rewind that and just like listen to the walkie-talkie part from there on. <laughs> that was gold because it, it's so true. And I know Rachel and I have both seen this happen in our lives multiple, multiple times, which is why I kept digging a little bit deeper with you. And I really wanted you to explain to everyone that's listening the power of what you can actually create with your mind. And I know that, you know, Rachel and I, like I just mentioned, like we've seen it time and time again, like None of it really happens on accident. You can be the leader of your own life. And one of the things that we do when our goal is to pack 10,000 women into a stadium is when I close my eyes, I get so intentional in that moment that every single time, like I am in tears crying with gratitude for how I feel in that moment. I know exactly what outfits we're wearing. I know exactly who's backstage. I know exactly how many children I have at that moment. <laughs> Are we going to match? Oh, we're going to pop one more out. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up, Sam. Let's go. I, I might, maybe I'll just keep it at one so it can have a Luke, where you at? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I know what my hair looks like. I know what we're starting to say on stage. I don't have the entire speech done yet, but, you know, I'm working on it each time. I know what the faces start to look like and the flashes of lights that people are holding up their phones and taking pictures. And I can feel the emotions of everyone that's sitting in the room and like how their hearts are beating and how excited they are and the love and the atmosphere. And when I sit in that and I feel it, I just every single time I will start crying because I'm just so grateful 
that I get to have that thought and I know that it is coming. And I, it's just not a doubt anymore because of how many times we've seen this practice work for us. That was really deep. I'm still <laughs> taken back over the fact that I have to wait for you to pop out another child before we can pack a stadium <laughs> of 10,000 women. <laughs> but yes, and it goes the same as negative thoughts. I'm a true believer if you are having that negative self-talk, if you are feeling into your fears all the time but not having an actionable step of how you're going to overcome your fears, you're going to attract that as well. So we could talk about mindfulness all day, but we're going to switch gears again and we're going to go into some strategy and your other business. Yes. So you are huge in the Stroke personal, that ego again. <laughs> in personal branding. I've heard you talk about it on stages. I've heard you talk about it on podcasts. Your entire agency is built around helping create these personal brands. So a lot of the women that are listening in would love to pick your brain on maybe some tips to help them get their personal brand off and going. And maybe they are struggling feeling like they are in authority or they're struggling with growing their own personal brands. What does that look like for someone who is kind of novice or, or feeling, you know, like I want to be something, I want to create something, I want to be a thought leader and, and really have this great personal brand. How, how can they do that? Building a personal brand is, is like kind of a where we're at right now. Like everyone wants to be a thought leader. And it's, it's cool, right? You get the, the best part about it is the people that you get to surround yourself with. And I've been lucky enough to be a part of some of those conversations and, and some of those times. So let's build a freaking personal brand. <laughs> Here's the three steps. One, you need an element of, of what's called social proof. So how do people look at you? If they go to your social media profiles and look you up and you're either can't be found online or you got 200 followers, like, dude, we need to reassess like where you're at. So unfortunately, but fortunately, there are solutions to be able to help kind of like overcome that social proof aspect, which the easiest things is like build your page up a little bit. Maybe not saying buy fake followers, but look at ways to activate that and grow the following up. And there's ways to do it when you connect with the right people to actually go ahead and you know, build that following up. And there's people and resources you can go to that can help you with that in a reasonable amount of money too. It doesn't cost too much. Throw a few hundred bucks at it and get a few thousand followers. Like get some dang social proof. That's number one. And also maybe a little bit of press. I believe that if, you, if search engine social media, the internet is either going to figure out what to say based on no knowledge or you can create the narrative you want to say. I'd rather have the internet speak in the narrative I gave it. So that's it. Social proof, right? You know, grow the, get the following up a little bit. If you're all against anything that's like paid, you literally can run paid ads to grow your following and, and get people to like your stuff. It's going to cost more money than the other methods, but get your following up and then get some stuff about you online. That's positive. Number two is once you take that social proof, you need to then be able to have a way to activate it which is getting in the right rooms where you can have conversations with people who have about the same level of kind of influence at that point and start crafting your story, your narrative, your mission, like what is it? In other words, create content and find ways to collaborate with other people like this podcast we're doing or whatever it is where you can collaborate with people and, and try to piggyback off other people's audience. That's step two. And then step three is, and by the way, content is like where it's at right now, like make some dang reels. Like you might only gain 10 followers, but if you had 10 people come onto your email list, you'd be stoked about it. So be stoked about those 10 followers because that is real people hitting the follow button. 
Third part is to build that audience. And so the way you build an audience is through long form content, podcasts, long form videos, events. That's where you foster community and build connection. So once you got some social proof and once you kind of start crafting your message and creating content, then you got to look at like, how do we retain these people and build trust and loyalty over a long period of time? Boom. Mic drop. You guys did it backwards. But hey, it's working for you. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, you can go backwards. <laughs> One thing that you mentioned is compatibility over competition. Working with somebody, and even if they're in the same industry, how can you collaborate on something? How can you collaborate together versus see other people as competition? And this is one thing that you do really well with your other business, Agency Box. You guys not only are one of the top marketing agencies in the U.S. or nationwide, international. We're going to be probably top 100 fastest growing companies in the nation when the wow. Inc. 5000 list drops this year. Ah, okay. Yeah. But not only are you one of the top marketing agencies, you also educate other marketing agencies on how to grow their agencies and you collaborate with them. You provide value for them in the exact same industry as you. What shifted to make you have that mindset of not competition, compatibility, working together? Gosh, I'll try to answer this short because like everything, I keep going on these, these long narratives. I'm sorry. It's just to get to one little point. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes it's not important. For this one, it's moderately important, so I'll keep it moderately short. <laughs> the, it was a long explanation for a little point. <laughs> and that's the point. Um, so we live in social media world. I'm sitting here looking at all these people online. This is me like five years ago looking like, dang, like, dude, that guy's got that. That guy's got that. And we're comparing our ordinary life to the inflated, photoshopped, best version of everyone else's life. Our 365 days a year in comparison to other people's 10 days a year and thinking that, you know, we're that much worse than them. And so I had to pull away from comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. I had to pull away from comparison because every single time I compare myself to other people in the industry, it just made me feel like crap. <laughs> and so as soon as I did that, I was like, okay, let me stop watching all these other people for the sake of like whatever it is. And I only watch people's content now to watch what they're doing, not what they're saying. So how are they showing up? How are they creating content? What's the cadence that they're doing? Not what they're speaking on as much. You guys are doing a podcast. This is great. You know what's even better than the podcast? Having people see how you're doing the podcast. What guests are you interviewing? How are you doing it? What's the dynamic? You know, Rachel drops a few jokes in every now and then. They always, uh, you know, they always, you know, it, it makes it funny. Most of them. Some of them suck. But. <laughs> hey now. Hey now. <laughs> Can't all be winners. <laughs> so, so anyways, yeah. So like that sucks. So like once I pulled away, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't care anymore about like trying to like compete. That's when I tapped into the abundance mindset, which is like, there's literally more than enough for every single person. There's more than enough pie. Even though it may look like there's one pie at the table, there's more than enough pie for all of us to have as many slices as we want. We have to just tune into that. The thing is, most people don't feel comfortable going there. But the best part about that is that there's people out there in the world that have your exact customer and are willing to send them to you if you just give them a small little slice of the pie back in return. You don't have to pay anything up front for customers. You get people flowing into your ecosystem. And at the end of the day, you risk nothing up front. No ad spend, no deposit on a venue. You just collaborate. So. Uh, that's an expense for <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, anyways, collaboration is, is, is like, is I got my first 3,000 paid customers from collaborations mm. before I even turned on ads. Wow. Okay. So yeah, stepping into that abundance mindset. Okay. So we are going to wrap this up with one final question. 
What is coming next for Dylan Banana? Banana, <laughs> Dylan Banana. <laughs> what is going on? You are, you know, you founded, co-founded, and founded two eight-figure companies. Where are they headed? What big projects do you have? What do you want to? What's going on? Tell us. Big stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Wrap yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, constantly evolving. So I think there's going to be something coming out soon that's going to tap into, and maybe after this podcast release, who knows, but probably going to tap into the AI realm and support businesses. You see, during COVID, there's a lot of businesses that failed and a lot of businesses that got destroyed and eaten up. And there's a simple formula for attention online that most businesses don't know. If you know the formula, you're pretty much guaranteed to thrive through any economic times. The problem is most people don't know the formula. I want to show up and be able to provide the formula to people and show them the path so that the next time, if something like this ever happens again, and whether it does or doesn't, it gives businesses the ability to thrive and not get crushed like COVID did. So yeah, pretty soon there's something coming out that incorporates all of that stuff and it's going to really be, it's going to, it's going to make some moves. Ooh, all right. Well, everyone be on the lookout for that. All righty. This has been an action-packed podcast episode. We talked about rock bottom. We talked about pivots, mindfulness, meditation, the woo-woo, the woo-hoo, connections, all... Walkie-talkie. Walkie-talkie. <laughs> Don't forget the walkie-talkie. Don't forget the walkie-talkie. All of the wonderful things. If somebody is looking to maybe grow their own marketing agency, connect with you on how to grow their personal brand, or just follow you and consume your content, where can they find you? So... DylanVaness.com, Agency Box as the agency, mindful agency to grow your brand. Ultimately, wherever you go through, it's going to get filtered before you get to me, except for Instagram, literally everything that comes through I see. So if you just want to hit me directly, Instagram's your path. Everything else kind of goes through a bunch of people. So that's it. Beautiful. All right, connectors. All of the details that he just mentioned will be in the show notes. Don't forget to give him a follow, consume his content, go on over to his podcast and listen to some of his podcast episodes as well. I have a feeling Sam and I might be on it one day. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening, Connectors, and we will see you all in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Connect Her podcast. We are your hosts, Sam and Rach. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to show your support, make sure to connect your friends with your favorite episode, leave a review, and download that favorite episode for later. And remember, you're always one connection away. We'll catch you in the next episode.